I'm Mark Herney. Who was that, Aaron? That was a, a sad Adam Sandler. Oh. <laughs> I cry sometimes. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes I get mad. Sometimes I break <laughs> glass doors. I'm collecting I'm pudding. I can't do an Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we saw Adam oh. Sandler uh, when we were in L.A. for Andrea's Jeopardy. He, he oh, really? right by us with a basketball. He, he just finished playing. Ah, mm-hmm. it seems like a good thing for him to do. He he seems like he has a lot of energy that he probably needs to get out. <laughs> he does, yes. Yeah, but he uh, he seemed a little surly, actually. I, I, I'm not. Hmm. I'm, I'm just basing this on a really two minute exchange, seeing him walk across a studio lot. But uh, yeah, he didn't. Right. He didn't look like he was in the mood to talk to people. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that included the people he was with. So maybe oh, maybe yeah. it was the game face, the basketball. He had his game face on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's funny. Well, this is Criterion Close-Up. Uh, we're here, number episode number 58. I uh, had a little bit of a break there, um, so you know, just want to let folks know if they weren't aware, we're really going with a monthly schedule for Criterion Close-Up. Um, I think we've mentioned it a bit before, but gives us a chance to really delve into a release, uh, have a bigger show like this one. This is going to be a, uh, of course, we're talking about Punch Drunk Love and Paul Thomas Anderson's career a bit. Uh, it's not going to be exhaustive, but you know we'll talk about his films yeah. and his work. It's not so. going to be a four-hour cast, <laughs> right? It could be. Right. We've done that with with the gross out, but yeah. not with not with PTA. We definitely could with PTA for sure. Yeah, but you know, so we're we're doing monthly for this, but we you know if you're not want for content because of uh, we've got two shows out so far, mm-hmm. and we'll be doing another one soon um, next week with uh, Criterion Now. So I hope folks have been checking that out and following along. Yeah, and a lot of people have asked, so what's up with uh, Criterion Close-Up? Uh, is, it, is this done? Is this... Uh... And so I, I guess I should answer no. <laughs> well, obviously, because you're <laughs> listening to a Criterion Close-Up episode. Here we it's are. It's not done. Yeah, we, we did take... A, a, we both took vacations over the holidays, and mine was... Uh, to the southernmost point of America, so um, yes, it was. I wasn't exactly able to uh, chime in. So and I needed to recover too. I drove there, so that that takes a while. And yeah, we're going to do one episode. We'll need the time to prep, so it'll be probably. I'm not sure if it's going to be middle of the month or end of the month. Uh, of course, this one is close to both. So, uh, right, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, so it's we're we're still alive, still kicking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And we have fun stuff. I, I kind of like this. We're, we're going to continue the French series, but we're talking right. about doing some Ozu. Uh, yeah, and what I think a, a couple other topics. I, eventually, we're going to do Arrow Video, which I think will be fun. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a little little different. But yeah, like you said, the the French series, and I'm sure we'll have some shows where we're talking about. Um, Oh, the World Cinema Foundation. We're hoping to delve into that. Yeah, yeah, that's um, gonna. At some point, and we have an so. interesting twist that we'll uh, we'll spare we'll save you so save for you. Yeah, yeah. So it should be fun. Well, should we get into it? This is uh, Punch Drunk Love, um, and the Paul Thomas Anderson. We'll get into PTA a little later, but um, we did get Punch Drunk Love from Criterion. Um, when was it? November. Mm-hmm. It came out mid November. Spine number 843, first PTA I know. film in the collection. Yeah. So maybe, very cool. Maybe the last, I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe not. Not not really surprising, um, you know, because it didn't have it it only had a DVD release, never had a Blu-ray. Um, I think the other one people 
well, it's on Filmstruck, I believe, Heart Eight. Mm-hmm. So that's the the one people. I, I that may have even been the one people thought would come first. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's that which one I thought. But you know, I I do understand uh, Punch Drunk Love because it was seen as a failure at the box office, and I think because of the Adam Sandler aspect, and we'll get into that. Mm. I think a lot yeah. of a lot of uh, it doesn't have the commercial appeal that a lot of his other films do, and it's more of an sure. niche film. So I think that's a, it's a better fit for Criterion. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Go on IMDb and and look at the forums, and oh boy, it's great. <laughs> People are like, oh, this is boring. It's slow. This isn't like Little oh. Nicky. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is it's his fourth feature, um, right. and from what I I remember, I'll I'll just mention just to set it up a little bit too. It's of course you mentioned it stars Adam Sandler. He plays Barry Egan. Uh, he has, I pulled a couple of words because I just love Criterion's language, uh, erratic temper, and he's a novelty toilet plunger salesman. <laughs> I mean, how, how often is a plot based around yes. that? Uh, and uh, he's, he's, he collects frequent flyer mile coupons, uh, which is actually based on a, a true story. He has uh, seven sisters, uh, poor man. And uh, he, he meets a mysterious woman played beautifully by, uh, her name is Lena, played by Emily Watson. But there is the, you know, the, I don't know, cloud specter of uh, phone sex right. and a deranged boss who's um, really, you know, well, I, I don't know. He's <laughs> haunting uh, Mr. Um, Barry and uh, mm-hmm. in the character of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the mattress man. Right, the mattress man. That's that. Uh, yeah, pro tip, guys. Don't you know if you want to call a sex phone sex line or whatever the I, I guess it's a Skype uh, video chat now. Is that the equivalent? Yeah, don't give out sure. your social, <laughs> your address, <laughs> your phone number, your uh, you know credit card. I guess uh, yeah, that they probably have to for that. But um, yeah, right. be be a little right. careful. Uh, don't be don't be yeah. adult. Yeah, Barry Egan, <laughs> quite quite a character. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's a lot of a lot of fun, uh, and yeah, it's a first really kind of dramatic, although still comedic performance for mm-hmm. uh, for Mister Sandler. Yeah, no, and almost the last, uh, he tried it again with Spanglish, and uh, I don't know if you've seen that 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 didn't work so well. I, uh, no, I haven't. I mean, no. Some people liked it. It 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 was one of those that had a little bit of Oscar buzz before it came out, and then. The critics, you know, were mixed on it. Some some liked it a lot, but I, mm. I it's been a while. I, I didn't care for it, but and now he makes. I mean, I think we had hope that Sandler might become, you know, sort of a Jim Carrey. Like, you know, he right. he's, has the comedy, but he can do dramatic roles, um, and or maybe Robin Williams. Yeah, uh, but no, not not quite so much. I, I think he, and yeah, we'll, we'll get into him, but I don't think that 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 he really cares about the art as much. I think he's more, uh, and he, he even said it during the Cannes interview, he's more about ple- entertaining kids. And I think that's really what yeah. his, his thing is now. Yeah. Yeah, he, he seemed kind of starstruck, really, in, you know, at the Cannes Festival, mm-hmm. and, you know, just kind of having having fun with it. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him in another role, um, you know, like this. I mean, it, it felt like, I know... Paul Thomas Anderson said he, he just he wanted to work with Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny because it's not, you know, that that marriage just doesn't seem to make sense at first. Yeah, but, but it you know, worked. It, this role, yeah, this role just seem I mean, it's perfect for him. Mm-hmm. It just seems tailor-made for Adam Sandler in a um, 
you know, in a in a dramatic role. I mean, he's just he's he's pitch perfect. <laughs> yeah, and, and even though we're going to talk about PCA a little more, it might not be a bad mm-hmm. idea to kind of set up the context of this film and his career. Uh, so he he was basically one yep. of the next auteurs, as you know, along with maybe Aronofsky, uh, Baumbach, maybe I, Wes Anderson, of course. Yeah. They kind of all came up around the same time, and he was just—I'd say—he was one of the front runners. Uh, very, very popular. Uh, a lot of mainstream appeal. Magnolia was very, very popular among um, cinephiles, and you know, for the most part, the public. Yeah, not as much audience, but you know. Some. Yes. But some. yeah, I mean, Boogie Nights was Boogie Nights was a big Huge hit. hit. Um, it's just his second film, mm-hmm. so it really put him on the map. And after Boogie Nights, he was given a blank check to make Magnolia, and that worked out. I, I think uh, that uh, the the studio made money on it. And Punch Drunk Love came on the heels of that, and I think that, and he wanted to do a comedy, but I, I don't know that PTA right. can really do a, a comedy, you know, not like not like an Adam Sandler Street comedy, right? Yeah, and so it, it didn't do well, and he didn't work for a while. So, uh, and I, I think now he doesn't have that blank check anymore. Even well, he might now, right? Like as in 2017 now, but for a while he yeah, didn't. Yeah, it's interesting. It, yeah, it's interesting how you know the, this this film not doing well. How he was able to get such a big budget film in uh, "There Will Be Blood" after mm-hmm. you know in two thousand seven. Yeah, um, I think. But yeah, I, I just um, helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I guess you know thinking about this film, Aaron. I I uh, this was a second watch for me, and you know what it really reminded me of. There's a Criterion connection is Wong Kar Wai, um, in that you know he was. Wong Kar Wai was making Ashes of Time, and it was just taking a long time to make that. And he really just took a break to make Chungking Express. And as I understand, which is, you know, to me, one of the great romantic comedies of all sure. time. It's the one that really pulled me back in, made me believe in romantic <laughs> comedies again. Ch- Chungking Express just, or this one? Chungking Express. Okay, yeah, also has a, a big musical element, or, you know, songs in the film. So uh, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, very, probably, very similar. probably an influence on this film for sure. Yeah, it's got to be, yeah. yeah. And some, you know, some visual style, you know, uh, similarities, I think. Absolutely, but, yeah. You know, but yeah, it, it's and I know with, with PTA, he was looking at doing a shorter film before uh, Magnolia, uh, but then, you know, Magnolia just kind of <laughs> blew up. So he finally, you know, his, with his producer said, yeah, I'm doing the 90-minute movie, and, mm-hmm. uh, and here it is. So... Yeah, and I, I've seen it three times. This was my third, actually mm. third and a half, because I kind of rewatched some of it, uh, this week, um, I, I rewatched the f- full movie and then some later. But uh, yeah. yeah, I remember the first time, and I, I know it doesn't really gain traction immediately with people. And and I I yeah. think that was the case with me, although far more I enjoyed it far more than a lot of other people did on first viewing. Yeah, I had the same experience. Second yeah. viewing, I was pretty much wowed. Yeah, because I, I saw all these film language, the marriage between the, the the visual art, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about. The music is fantastic in this film. Yes, yeah, it's great. And also the 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 performances, and I really think it speaks to PTA's um, talent as a director that he yeah he basically took Adam Sandler improvising and created a, a stellar performance for him. And there might be a little bit of Adam Sandler in this performance. Uh, I I don't know. I'm not going to say he's bipolar or or uh, or depressed, right. but he does seem you know as far as his comedy goes, he's a little manic. And yeah, you know, co- comedians have dark places. So I'm, I'm I'm sure he's at least seen it in other comedians. So I think he was channeling something there that uh, that PTA got out of him. 
yeah, uh, it just has to be. You know, it just it it feels like uh, what what you think you know Adam Sandler might be. Maybe he has seven sisters that call him all the time. When he's working. <laughs> you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe. And yeah, I as far as the character goes, having seven sisters, really not a terrific career. Uh, I we don't learn much about his background. Uh, I think with his rage issues, probably not a lot of um, formal education. Probably not a lot of early success. So. Toilet selling in a warehouse next to a body or an auto shop. It's probably right. probably his uh, best career prospect. But <laughs> yeah, well, and, and at least he's his own boss. You know, I kept thinking about that early on. Yeah. Like, I was just assuming he was an employee, and um, you know, early on, it's you realize he's the boss. He gets the phone calls. No one questions him. You know, normally the boss would be questioning him, like, why why are your sisters calling sure. all the time? <laughs> so and you know, I, he's the he's the man. I think he's he's pretty much. Um, uh, he's very passive with his sisters too, right? So if I had my own business, well, I did have my own business, but I don't have seven sisters. But if I did, I would say, hey, I'm working. I, I have things to do. This is my livelihood. Right. Let's let's call from uh, you know five to ten or something. Hey, wait, wait till wait till I'm or, or not call. <laughs> let's call on weekends maybe. And, right. Uh, and yeah, if you don't mind, I I'd like to play one clip, and this is a little long clip because I really like. And we'll get into this, but how that he uses the musical elements to channel the characters' emotions. So this is probably t- two minutes or so of just stuff going on in his business while his sisters are calling, and you hear the music get a little more intense, and uh, and then it, you won't hear it culminates into a little artistic catharsis. So there you go. I can almost guarantee you that, but uh, let me just get this. My sister. Not a problem. Not a problem. This is Barry. Anyway, hey, it's me. It's Rhonda. Are you going to this goddamn party? Oh, hi, Rhonda. Yes, I am. All right, fine. Bye. Okay, bye, bye. I'll see you well, tonight. Sorry about that. Just wanted to tell you, fellas, that we just received a very large order from the Rio Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. We will be supplying each and every one of their bathrooms with the dice and money funger. So uh, these babies are really flying with the Aqua Blast. The Aqua Blast, the little zippers, the whales, and the speedboats. We asked for the display to be at eye level for little children. Barry? Let me just get that. You know, you can also color code. This is Barry. Hey, it's me. What are you doing? I have some customers here. I can't really chat right now. Chat? Did you just say chat? Yeah, I, I, I can't talk. You just though. fucking said chat. That's so... <laughs> what are you now? Chat. I'm just calling to make sure that you show up at this party tonight. Oh, yes, I will be there. Okay, fine. Then you get to go back to chatting with your precious customers, you fucking phony, chatty piece of shit. Okay, all right. Thank you. Sorry about that. I didn't know you had a sister. Yes, I do. I wanted to tell you guys about the new finders. We've been working on this, and uh, we have a non-breakable handle, finally. Um, Let me demonstrate for you. Okay, this was one of the old ones, so um, do we have a, a new one around, Lance? Sorry about that. It's a little embarrassing. Um, this is. So, how many sisters do you have? I have seven. Yes. They call me because they're having a party tonight, so they're just calling me. Give me two more minutes, okay? And so that catharsis, which of course is just music, I didn't play that. That's the uh, work of Jeremy Blake, which is uh, which colors the film, literally colors the film, um, and gives it a, yeah. a special 
a visual flavor. Uh, yeah, it does. I, one of the things I was thinking of too with that that scene, um, it kind of gets back to um, a film that we talked about with our, our French series, the early Renoir. I thought about the the non breakable handle and the plunger that he breaks. Right. <laughs> um, you know, so I was thinking of on Purge Bebe when they throw the, uh, uh, you know, when he throws the, um, oh, what is it, the porcelain uh, that's supposed to right, be unbreakable. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's just you, you wonder, you know, how much of um, really how much. I mean, he's Paul Thomas Anderson has cited a lot of sources we'll get into, but you know, I just wonder if he's seen movies like some of the early uh, Renoir, maybe that uh, informed it. But yeah, I, I don't know if specifically, but I, I think he's probably a student of film. Uh, although, yeah. although you'd have, you have to keep in mind that he was pretty young then, and right, uh, he, and he still is relatively young for a filmmaker. But uh, I don't know that he. I doubt if he'd had a chance to see on Purge Bebe. Uh, no, I'm sure you're but, right. Uh, and he, I, I think he just watched things on his own, too. Mm-hmm. So who knows what he watched? He, he took a little bit of film school, but not much. Um, right. A couple of months or something like that, as I understand. So he's, he's self-taught, you know, self-taught master. And I could see him being more influenced by the, the American New Wave and on, and, and, yeah. and the independent movement for sure. Uh, yeah. So Cassavetes even a little bit? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's mentioned he's mentioned him. Um, I, I have a little bit of a through line later for some of his movies. It's you know it's it, it's almost too obvious what the influences are. But you know this one I really like as kind of a pastiche of of influences. I think maybe this one more than some of his other films uh, is. I mean I I think this one falls within what some people consider his his Altman period. But mm-hmm. I mean you see you know really like 1950s Hollywood comes into play here. Uh, musicals, I, they, of course, they mentioned this in the yeah. supplements, and yeah. it's just an aha, aha moment of, you know, it's like a musical, but it's there, no one's doing any dancing except for one scene, right? Uh, which is improvised. A, a great scene uh, in the uh, in the supermarket, <laughs> and yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, uh, everybody this year is talking about La La Land and uh, and, right. and, and the right. Jacques Demi influence and the MGM musicals. Yes. I, I certainly see Demi here. I think he probably did see Umbrellas because. Especially with the visual styling and the, and aligning that with the shot composition and the music, I think that's very right. Demi esque. Uh, and he, yeah. but instead of painting the the wallpaper or, or using that to uh, for the mise en scene, uh, he uses uh, some some special effects, uh, mm-hmm. including the, the the Jeremy Blake little, uh, what do they call those? <laughs> I don't know. I call it scopitones. 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 Yeah. But there's also yeah, there's a piece on that later. And I I, I I didn't see this in the supplements, but there's also um, some it colors the it colors the frame a little bit, and and I wasn't sure if he was yeah. transposing Blake's work or if this these were just camera camera uh, like a lens flare. There, there's some sometimes you'll see blue, right. red in the scene, and it looks artificial, but it also fits. Yeah, there's a couple, especially at the end of the the sex scene. If I remember, that not the sex scene, the sex the phone <laughs> line scene. Yeah, he turns over to uh, the, and that's a long take. Again, there's not, it's not as maybe showy as some of his other films where you notice the long takes, but right. you know, like the phone sex line is is one take, and that it, yeah, it ends with that lens flare looking right at the um, at the lamp. Yeah, it's it's, it's more subtle, and again, like Demi, it's. And, and that's why I was, I'm surprised to see some reactions that uh, people say it's boring because I think it's very light and yeah, and I, it's and it's short, you know, it's short, it's, but it's easily yeah. watchable and, and really rewatchable. Uh, you just really get caught up into this uh, this character, uh, and I absolutely. 
Yeah, and and yeah. I, I think everybody wishes for him well, uh, wish, wishes for him to succeed. But uh, but he's also just so uh, so manic, so crazy that you can't help but be enraptured by him. Right, right. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, the Lena character too. You just, uh, I, I think you really feel for her. Maybe, I mean, her walk is just amazing. Uh, yeah. she, she just draws you in with that walk. And she said she just kind of played a blank slate. She didn't really have to play anybody to do it. Um, but she's, she's great. I, I think some of it is the the framing of. Uh, you know that Paul Thomas Anderson does. I, I think of the scene in uh, when they're in Hawaii, where Anderson shifts perspective twice. Like you know they're about to meet in Hawaii, and she comes you know around the uh, uh, the corner, and then he pulls in closer, and she comes yes. around the corner again. You know, kind of from his uh, from Barry's perspective. It's just little touches like that. Mm-hmm. I you know, like you said, it, it just really pulls you in and makes it, it it beautiful, easy to watch. And if I'm thinking of the same shot. Right after that, there's the silhouette of them uh, being, them greeting each Love other. It. It's, it's Love it. And he shows, uh, it's it, the entire shot's in silhouette with just a little tiny sliver of light, as uh, maybe more than a sliver, but uh, a little uh, area of white, of light. And they embrace and move around, and people walk by, and they're all yeah. silhouetted. And then yeah. and it's, there's there's like nobody there I think either until they embrace and then you just see the people going back it's it's like right. you know it's like they're at an airport or you, I, I even thought maybe it's like film you know like the film going through the camera it's just an amazing movement and then use of light and shadow and then after they pass it, it centers on on, uh, on the two and that's when they're most uh, settled you know they're they're at first they were carried away uh, meeting each other kind of excited but then they're comfortable in each other's arms it's just, it's just a very it punctuates a very yeah. beautiful romantic moment and and I, 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 a couple times when I rewatched this earlier I thought you know I, the film language is a little showy you know some things mm-hmm. are a little too sure. pat uh, you know, he he definitely does like to frame things right in the middle. If you, if you look for it, it's always there. But sometimes it just works so well. Um, yeah. And I, I t- when it works, it works. The, the more I watch <laughs> it, the less I, t- I tend to mind that. Yeah, it seems less showy, for, you know, to me as far as framing goes than a Wes Anderson movie. So you yeah, know, it's the, the Andersons. Anderson, yeah, they are. Uh, Andersons maybe a little more self-aware of how showy it is, and and we use the phrase uh, indie cute uh, on a Criterion Now episode. I think Wes yeah. Anderson's more in that direction, whereas uh, PTA is a little more grounded. Uh, right. Although, yeah, maybe this this is his, his indie cute film. Yeah. Compared to the rest, this is pretty uh, fanciful. <laughs> yeah. uh, about a guy who uh, who wants to smash somebody's uh, head in with a sledgehammer. <laughs> uh, it's so... Such a romantic, I mean, at first you're like, what's going on? But then you realize when she returns, um, you know, that sentiment, how just how lovely and romantic that, that moment is. Sorry, I forgot to shave. Your face is so adorable. Your skin and your cheek. I want to bite it. I want to bite your cheek and chew on it. It's so fucking cute. Looking at your face, and I just want to smash it. I just want to fucking smash it with a sledgehammer and squeeze it. You're so pretty. I want to chew your face, and I want to scoop out your eyes, and I want to eat them, chew them, and suck on them. Okay. This is funny. Yeah. This is nice. 
It's, it really it's is. I, but part of me, I, I don't know that she really grasps Barry. You, you kind of think about mm. how is this gonna gonna play out, and yeah, six months, twelve months down the road, I, you know, we know she's been married before. Uh, yeah. We know you can tell she's a little fractured too, and mm-hmm. he's extremely fractured. So I don't know if she's going to give him the the motherly attention that he deserves and and even though he does confess about the bathroom and uh some of his rage issues and although i I do think he does get over uh some of the sister oppression with his phone call in hawaii but right but he is a deeply uh, fragile human being and not ready for a relationship i I don't i don't think it's going to end well do you I, I wouldn't I would say no um, but it, it has the the potential to uh, I guess the way I felt about Barry is a lot of his um, anger and just fractured natures which I, I think again comes comes through in the filmmaking and the the music but the um, comes from his his upbringing just having seven sisters that are you know just calling mm-hmm. him all the time and just just on him and, and I think that's part of it, but also just living in this world of, you know, the loud noises of the truck going by and the, you know, working in a warehouse. He's, uh, it, it seems like a bit of a commentary on living in modern, modern society, America, whatever you want to say. And um, he's trying to uh, find, get through it. And he finds an anchor in her, I, mm-hmm. I, I think, in some respects. So it's it's why I, I I don't think it's worth really saying exactly what happens at the sure, end. But I just sure. love the end shot. I think it's it's perfect. It's just a great great point to um, you know and and the uh, the movie on. It's 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 lovely. It's one of those mm-hmm. things that when I when a romantic comedy ends, that's the kind of thing I want to see. I want to see something that kind of leaves it. Um, open, you question, similar to what you said right, about right. where this relationship's going to go, and you know, can it end well? And how do you think it's going to end? It's up mm-hmm. to the audience. So, and even yeah. if it doesn't, yeah, he he left her at the hospital, but she forgives him, right? Would, well, yeah, and that's the, that's the other point is you know she she tells him, I'll I'll stay with your manic personality, but mm-hmm. you cannot do this right. again. Right? She's on you alert know, she already. Told him. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't yeah. take away from the romanticism, even if. Say say it is say six months down the road it doesn't work out and uh, it it still is a, a beautiful moment and um, right you know hopefully Barry Egan <laughs> who doesn't actually really exist but hopefully he could uh, he would grow and and be able to um, find himself of course a, a big central theme in this film or not really a theme but a, a character trait is really his loneliness and that's what drives yeah. everything that's what drives yeah. the plot the sex. Sex line, Georgia, right? Um, and and he's <laughs> right, he's Georgia. also passive. He's uh, well, mostly passive. He has a breaking point, but he does let people walk over him, and that includes uh, mattress man. Uh, uh, that right. includes Georgia, but he does also, and th- th- he kind of channels that rage uh, into something positive. You know, he he really defends her honor, whether she knows it or not, by um by going and taking care of this because he knows that this lingering in the relationship. Is going to yeah. be a, a problem. So, so yeah, destroy it. I think yeah. I might have talked myself into things being a little more upbeat, but uh, <laughs> but even if not, I, yeah. I, I love I do love the ending as well. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. There, there's there's some uh, I mean some other um, I guess some other influences I was thinking of too, Aaron. Just some little little nods that I picked up on. Um, again, doesn't surprise me with PTA is I don't even I think it was 
uh, was it Barry had blood on his fingers, but I, I swear I saw the word love etched into his hand after he punched the wall or something. Oh, I missed and that. I thought that was, huh. I thought it was like a, an, an homage to, you know, Night of the Hunter. Um, I, and again, I could have been wrong. I just caught that, that shot. And there's also a scene, um, where when he's running away from the, the three, was it three or four blonde brothers who are actually real brothers? Um, I didn't realize that are called, called the mattress man's gang. Right. <laughs> There's a bit of noir, I think, too, in that you see a shadow. It's a quick shot, but you see a shadow of him on the white wall before you see him, mm-hmm. you know, as he's kind of running away. So it's kind of like that that manic run uh, that we often see in a, you know, a noir film. Right, yeah. No, I, I can I can totally see that. It really is a multi-genre because... Exactly. It, yep. It's a romance, a little bit of action even. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, the, the, but the char- it's all rooted in the character, and I, I think that's where the strength yeah. is getting getting that Sandler performance, and um, and also I, I think we have to talk about the healthy choice a little bit. Yeah. Yes, it, be, it reminded me with the uh, the the brothers scene. I love how he's just talking, and he's defending himself, and then says ninety nine cents, and <laughs> so even when right. his 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 body is being threatened, really his life is being threatened. He's still thinking about how to get um, healthy choice airline miles. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, it's really the through line for him. And he's so happy to when he thinks that his, you know, all his work to get this, this healthy choice airline miles uh, will result in him going to see right. <laughs> uh, Lena, you know, when he does that dance. And of course, you know, we understand why he punches the wall later when <laughs> it doesn't happen. Right. But. So, I got $500. That's maximum. That's uh, what I can take out in a day. Okay. This is what you get when you're a pervert. Said you'd help somebody out, and you didn't, so we're just going to take this money back to her, and that's that. Okay, but before you guys go, uh, I just I wanted to bring up one thing. I said no to Georgia. She 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 wanted the money, and I had to I had to decline because I don't really have that much. That 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 money I just gave you is actually a lot of money to me, ninety nine cents. So I don't know if this is fair. Wait, whoa, just wait. No, no, please. Ow, ow, please. Ow, that darn four to six weeks, the right. <laughs> bureaucracy. Uh, right. And we're not going to talk about it, but it, that did stem from a real situation. I, I actually thought that was pretty fascinating, too, with the the, the guy. And this guy was nothing yeah. like Barry Egan. He was maybe a, a OCD, pr- probably kind of like a lot of us collectors. You know, he just... Right, exactly. And I, I actually saw that. He just sees something and, and collects it. Now, Barry, I don't know that, you know, he he's... He'd never flown before, so really, why why is he collecting frequent flyer miles? He doesn't like to travel, and right. he did in this instance, but just generally. So, say six months down the road, if they do break up, you know, is he just going to? What's he going to do with them? <laughs> he'll be eating. He'll be eating pudding for a long time. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah it's a little supplement uh, on the disc, uh, about five minutes, a little clip with Katie Couric and the real pudding man. Yeah. So anyway, a delightful film. I. Uh, I really enjoy this one. Yeah, yeah, me too. I uh, one thing I was thinking of too, uh the I guess it's it's a mix of the the music and just the way the uh, the film is shot. It's uh it, the soundtrack's a bit of a, a mix of kind of electric and baroque music maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think with the way that that is put together and the the way the film is shot, like, you know, I think of again the beginning is just this loud the crashing the car scene the yes, um, yes. harmonium 
you know, it just it seems to put Barry on edge, and he's on edge throughout the movie. And uh, I think it's um, you know really a, a nice marriage of uh, you know it could just be a comment on growing up in um, this this modern society, and you know how do you find your way, and how do you find love, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a society such as this. So. Yeah, it's and beautiful. You also, I, I, I love the the little sound effects and the uh, visual situations, but the the crash with the uh, with the instrument, uh, the as tiny piano, as harmonium, is but he calls it a tiny piano, which I love. But that's yes. that's so abrupt, and it actually ends a period of tranquil music, if I recall correctly. Right. Uh, and you kind of yep. wonder if that's real. Is that is that did that actually happen, or is that yet another manifestation of his inner? innermost uh, fears right right uh, kind of like the, yep. the non-diegetic music so yeah yeah that's a good point it's it does it just seems so out of reality you know that uh that accident so, yeah. and there are a few of those i noticed uh he uses sound to to end scenes and and and, and play with the music like uh there's some music playing in one scene and then uh luis guzman's character raises the garage, and it sounds like another crash. So, yeah, very playful with the sound design. I, I'd say, technically, this one is its up there with uh, PTA's best as far as everything coming together. So. Yeah, yeah, and he, had, he did it all in 90 minutes. So 90 it's, minutes, 94, I think. <laughs> yeah. So any, anything else to, to mention before we get into our ratings? No, I, I love this movie. I'm just going to say that right there. <laughs> Yep. So that nice. that I'm, will uh, impact my, what do you my think? rating. Uh, I'm I don't I don't do this much. I know you call me a tough grader, and I, I don't I don't think of myself as a tough grader. I think it's more because I, I I'm grading against the other best films uh, of the uh, sure and grading really it doesn't really matter. We're just putting arbitrary numbers on our subject yep. subjective it's our favorites. Personal opinion. Yep. Um, but I do think this is one of the best films of this generation, of the, this era. So I, I was mm. probably in the nine camp uh, before going into it. I think now, and I, I do have a couple small reservations that I've kind of I've mentioned, but I'm, you know, again, this isn't a scorecard like a, like diving where you subtract points for, you know, not, not everything's perfect. But I think as far as the, the story it tells, the emotion it conveys, I think this is near perfect. Um, and I'm so I'm going to go ten. I don't have wow. I have I gone ten on the show before? It's been a while. I think maybe the last one that comes to mind would be Brighter Summer Day or and uh, Hiroshima Monomore, yeah. the two that I think of maybe. But so okay, yeah. I, I'm putting this. Those are big. I'm putting this on the <laughs> on those le- the level of those two. So um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love this yeah. love this movie. So yeah, I, I I'm close there with you. I I don't think I can quite go ten, and I can't really say why. Uh, I think maybe part of it is I, I think uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson still has a ten uh, to give us. Hmm. Um, maybe maybe there there other ones might come up, but yeah, I think my first viewing of this one, I was probably in the seven uh, to eight camp, and with this one, I, I'm going to give it a nine. I'd, if we did halves, I'd probably go nine and a half because I think it is close to uh, perfect. Uh, it really. I mentioned Chunking Express mm-hmm. when the movie was done and that final shot. I just thought of Chunking Express and yep. Brief Encounter, and I just put those two up with you know Punch Drunk Love and say this is one of the greatest romantic movies I've ever seen. So yeah, I'm there with you. It's Brief a really good, good, yeah. good movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
and 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 rewards repeat viewing. You know, like yeah. you said, the second one is where it really just coalesced uh, the filmmaking craft and just the you know how mm-hmm. lovely uh, this this love story is. So I'm with you. All right. Well, um, are, are how about you... supplements? Uh, sure. Well, first off, are we going to even debate whether it's in the canon? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I, we usually save that for last, but uh, yeah, let's we'll get uh, it out of the let's way. Canonize it. Yeah. <laughs> so you, well, it, it's you've got to put a you've got to put a Paul Thomas Anderson movie in the canon. So here we go. Sure. So why not just get it out of the way? Yeah, it's it's yep. the first one. It's canonized. Now I, yep. I've I've seen some criticisms of the uh, the Criterion edition, and I, I own the DVD, so I, I and they do repeat a I lot do. of the same supplements. Uh, I did see s- somebody. I, it might have been on one of the year end shows. I, it might have been on our show, but somebody criticized it for not having as much Paul Thomas Anderson on the disc. Yeah. And and since he's such a uh he he's a Criterion supporter, he's been up there. I think he's done a couple other features for them. So they they you know it would have been nice to see more of him, maybe even like a 15-minute interview just reflecting on uh on the the movie. Right. But, Rather than just, you know, can, but yeah, like a Criterion supplement. Right. Yeah. And I I think there could have been a little more, but also he's working a lot now, so I, I think that's probably difficult to manage. So do you do you delay the release two years just to get fifteen minutes with PTA, uh, right. or or a, maybe a substandard phone call sort of interview, a Skype interview, a podcast? Why not? <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. Uh, so so there are a lot of you know the typical st- studio uh, extras like de- deleted scenes. Um, the can stuff, uh, even though we do see that that type of thing on Criterion discs often, but I think the only real new yeah. major new ones are the art uh, interviews, is what I'll call them. So yep. John Bryan and Jeremy Blake are uh, are pretty important, and and they're reflecting on um, on the film. And I, I yeah, John Bryan's was re- actually, I, I think his influence is is pretty important. Uh, they yeah. and he gave some context that explained, I think, why why everything came together, at least in my mind. So, with most most uh, films, they shoot the score or sorry, <laughs> they shoot the film, they edit, and then they hire a composer to 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 um to th- theme it afterwards. And sometimes that right. works. Uh, and in fact, I'd say a lot of our favorite themes. I mean, probably most of them are shot that way. But in this case, and I pro- probably with most of PTA's films. Brian was involved early, and so uh, as he put it, uh, he called it a quote completely integrated process to where he was scoring the movie. And uh, Jeremy Blake might have been involved early as well. I believe he was. So they, they're, they're kind of influencing each other, the music and the film. And I think that's actually pretty, pretty uh, useful in a, um, in a film. Yeah. And yeah, I, I liked how uh, integral PTA is with it too. How he he talked about doing the music PTA would just hum a riff and then you know Brian would kind of write to that right. which you know I've never heard of that really happening before and as as you pointed out the music is kind of all over the place you have uh, the harmonium sounds you have uh, he needs me the uh, which is really a it's a Shelley Duvall I don't know what it was on originally but it was in Popeye I think Popeye Popeye yeah, I, yeah. I, I did know I just forgot <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so yeah and, and Popeye Going into a, a PTA movie that doesn't exactly right. seem like it would fit the puzzle, but uh, but and then John Bryan putting it together like a, a waltz, and I had to look it up when I first heard the waltz again. I thought, well, this sounds kind of like Strauss, but 
Nope, it's uh, it's Brian, and it's uh, different enough that it's not a cover tune. So, so yeah, I think I think the the music does work, and and also the little sound effects that, and we'll get into how he he's done that with Johnny Greenwood as well. Uh, right. So the, the interview I thought was it was pretty interesting. Him just talking about the process, uh, him talking about uh, PTA. Since we don't have PTA, he was able to uh, inform us about, about his um, what he was in his mind when he was putting this together, and he did bring up the mu- musicals. Uh, he didn't mention Demi uh, per se, but he did bring up the color palette, uh, how it was filmed like a musical, as you as you mentioned, but just without these right. songs. Um, so what's interesting is they they didn't work again together, and instead he got uh, Johnny Greenwood and uh, others to uh, to work with him. Well, really, Johnny Greenwood is really it. So um, so anyway, uh, you got into Jeremy Blake some. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I did uh, check that out. I, I think uh, I mean, these are the two really to highlight, like you said, um, the Brian interview. Uh, I, I did like the, the Brian one quite a bit. It's a little long, but gets you into the process. And this one is uh, we've lost Jeremy Blake. He's the uh, yeah uh, the digital artist and painter. Um, and really, he created the, the imagery, I uh, could call it abstract imagery, that's uh, shown in the film that's kind of a bit of a transitional uh, piece, especially... Um, yeah, I'll well, just transition between scenes. And so this was, uh, it was a conversation between a New York gallerist, uh, Liam Ganatano, I believe it is, and then Michael Connor as uh, artistic director at a museum in New York. Um, so it was a really, for this one, I'll just say up front, I think it was a really rich discussion. It actually requires repeat viewings, at least as far as I'm concerned, because I'm not a, a student of uh uh, art really so sure. I, I think there's a lot here it was actually really really dense um but and oh and i should mention that you know that we lost blake he he did mm-hmm. he was kind of you could almost see some um parallels with the the barry character but he did uh, he passed away in 2007 um so a few years after uh, punch drunk love of of uh, suicide yeah and um, after his his partner who's also uh, an artist had uh, had committed suicide so yeah that's that is a, a sad uh, tale and we you hate to think maybe that's where barry and uh and what's her name emily watson lena um maybe that's right. where they were heading had, um you never know hey, yeah. so we just made this movie a lot darker <laughs> I know. oops I, I think it's also an in, a different type of visual art too than i'm used to and i and i think that yeah. the filmic visual arts uh, there probably aren't a lot of vehicles for somebody like jeremy blake's film to um, or work to to come out on film I mean, maybe somebody like wes anderson might take to those and he might have used some somebody similar to blake right. but uh but I, yeah, I think maybe he would have he would have had more work uh, early in you know maybe in the like silent era or you know that that time frame. He just he seems like he maybe almost born uh, working at the wrong time. But he he did a lot of work. I mean, he's a he did a yeah. lot of digital art in the late '90s. He was working for you. Just wonder where his um, work would have gone otherwise because he worked w- for uh, folks doing video games. So there's video game art. So there's a lot of uh, places that he could uh, he could work. Yeah, I think I think he was a by far a professional success. And, and actually, even though this film yeah. di- didn't do as well as PTA would like, it was uh, it, it has a good legacy, and uh, and the yeah. artwork especially really stands out. So, yeah, it is sad. I, I'm I'm sure, I mean, probably they would work again. I think, you know, assuming they got yeah. along. Uh, would think, yeah. 
Criterion Connection too, and they talked a bit about Cronenberg uh, and really focusing more on his early work, the architectural, you know, and spatial mm -hmm. concerns rather than you know the body horror uh, piece of his you know his later movies. So some nice uh, nice discussion there. Good stuff. Yeah. Any any other. Uh, supplements that you wanted to call out. I, I'll, I guess I'll just mention that I think the Mattress Man commercial is hilarious and short <laughs> and great. Very short. Yeah, I, that was on the DVD as well, I, I'm pretty sure. It was. Uh, yeah. yeah, the canned stuff was interesting. Not really too enlightening because... And it really wasn't, yeah. There, there are a few canned press conferences that, that seem to really bring out a whole lot. It's And there was a, right. a lot of attention on Sandler and, and PTA working together, which is the story. You know, that's the headline, but not so much about... A little bit about the craft, but not... They didn't really get too deep into it as, they as yeah. say, a PTA talking now would... Yeah, even and even when they would ask a question, he'd you know a lot of times he'd make a joke or he might give a small comment right. as a you know something into uh, his. I, I guess one thing I did call out is they question the title, and he does say, he does say right. uh, it's an American f phrase about a state of mind when you feel a little punchy, um, mm -hmm. and it's also a word that describes falling in love. So that's you know you could probably pull that out and that makes sense you could play the name game and, and find a couple areas that plug in but yeah barry egan right. is as far as intellect well i don't know yeah intellectually and emotionally a little punch drunk and uh and, yeah. and then love drunk when he when he uh meets uh, lena right well, they did mention uh adam did mention that they did they did a lot of rehearsals so that's something i wasn't you know a little insight into uh anderson's process maybe and they also, uh, another inside baseball thing they mentioned is that they didn't um, have much of a script and they improvised a lot. And I remember one quote, I didn't write it down, but I'm sure it was something of this nature, like we were making it up the whole time as we went along. So, which is interesting yeah. because it works so well, but, and, and again, maybe that's a lot of Adam Sandler just uh, being pushed in the right direction creatively being Sandler yeah yeah and it's it's I, I think that's that's probably why this is considered uh, a, a one of his Altman pieces right uh, yeah per se. oh definitely so, and and that sister's yeah. scene uh, is Altman if you've right. ever heard it so so yeah right yeah good stuff so um, what would you give the overall package of uh, this this criterion release well you know because there's not I, I love the movie as as I've established, but there's not a whole lot new, and and I'd seen a lot of the other features, so I'm I'm actually going a little little lower. I'm going to say a nine for the package. Uh, I know yep. there's not as many commentaries uh, lately, but uh, there've been a few in the immediate past, but um, but there weren't too right. many coming around out around this time. But I, I would have really liked a, a, like a scholar commentary of some oh, sort, yeah. or maybe not PTA, but. Uh, and it's such a short film, it seems like it would be perfect for a good commentary. Oh, yeah, absolutely. E you know, seemingly easy to do. But and I, I know we, we're talking about the things we didn't get right. that we missed. <laughs> um, yeah, that's often informs the rating. But I, I'm with you. Uh, I, I, I'm actually probably going to go as low as an eight. Uh, just from that perspective, just wanting a little bit more, you know, the canned stuff not really giving a lot of insight, mm -hmm. you know, and being a little longer. And I noticed, too, the image, it's a 35 millimeter millimeter interpositive um again supervised by anderson i'm just surprised we didn't get the camera original camera negative uh it being not really a, an old film so sure from a you know from a visual uh just from a 
um, you know, image quality standpoint, just a little lower than I uh, had kind of expected and hoped. Uh, a little comment there about some of the other Blu-rays that are out there. But so, yeah, I'll go with an eight for a Criterion rating. But it is in the canon. So it is. Yep. So shall we talk some PTA? Yeah, let's talk about his uh, uh, oh, his career a little more. Oh, we'll wait. Take a little break. We have to wrap up with that's that. <laughs> that's that? That's that. All right. <laughs> Don't you come back now. Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Herney here with Aaron West. Episode 58, Criterion Close-Up. We just talked about Punch Drunk Love, and uh, we want to talk a little more about Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson, PTA, and his uh, his career. Um, we want to talk about the movies especially, kind of lead in uh, a bit with his uh, upbringing, and uh, as folks may or may not know, he did uh, do some music videos too. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And uh, it, like Aaron did, refer to kind of a modern day auteur, wonder child, uh, certainly a, I'd like to call him a student of film, but he's really more of a, um, you know, watcher of film, and you do see some of the influences in his film because he didn't go to uh, film school. He just uh, did go, I think it was two semesters at Emerson College and a couple days at New York University, Mm. Um, but then he went into being a production assistant. He learned um, on the job, basically. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> Which nothing wrong with on the fair. job training. It happens, yeah. Um, I, not off, as often in Hollywood, although it does happen. Yeah. And he's uh, a couple through lines to some of his movies I think too he's the third youngest of nine children so just talking about Punch Drunk Love and having seven sisters there's a maybe a bit of that there and getting to Boogie Nights he had a troubled relationship with his mother um, but was closer to his father so we see a, a tough relationship with um, all I could think of is, is, is uh, Dirk Diggler his stage name in uh, Boogie Nights right, right. Mark Wahlberg character but mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some thoughts that that may have uh, influenced his, um, you know, his that that character in Boogie Nights, and um, there's also, I mean, he did do some other work. He has the 30-minute mockumentary, which is shot on video, called the Dirk Diegler story. That's from '88, about a pornography star inspired by John Holmes, which was, of course, the inspiration for. Uh, Boogie Nights, and he also made uh, was it cigarettes and coffee rather than coffee and cigarettes, uh, the short film that uh, Heart Eight or Sydney is uh, is based on. So 
definitely some some shorter stuff there. We just wanted to mention not really uh, work that we're going to get into. We're going to talk about his feature films mostly, but he did do some uh, music videos too, and has he's done some in the past. He's continued to. He uh, uh, directed some music videos for Radiohead's latest album. Uh, I haven't really delved into those much, Aaron. Have you seen some of his music video work? Yeah, I think I've seen all of them. Um, well, to back up a little bit, I, as he's become a film director, he's also been, uh, he's a big music fan, and you might even say a fanboy. Uh, he mm. he kind of gets caught up, uh, maybe a little starstruck by his, his musician friends, and uh, mm. and it started with his first film, uh, Heart 8, with uh, Amy, Amy Mann, but really Michael Penn, and then he, he actually became an Amy Mann th- fan through Michael Penn, and then, of course, as we'll talk about, he used her... Uh, as really as the influence for Magnolia, and then he got got in a relationship with this girl named uh, Fiona Apple. Have you heard of her? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it was interesting. Is he that happened because he saw the Criminal video, which is, <laughs> which is uh, you know not exactly a, a great feminist statement, uh, and I think mm. it's something she regrets. But yeah, I, a lot of people had that same sentiment, uh, and then he. He did some music videos for her during their relationship. Uh, they they eventually broke up, and uh, and he actually just recently, uh, recently within the last few years, he did another video for her, for her. Um, I believe it was her last album. And then uh, he's um, he's become buddies with Johnny Greenwood, and they've done a bunch of uh, films together. Right. And so so yeah, he's he's done some Radiohead videos for the most recent album, and uh, and yeah, what's interesting is there's one song, Daydreaming which is just Tom York walking through doorways basically into different and it's it's an odd song it's it's a sort of a ballad but it's hmm. I mean, go check it out at some point it's actually worth watching if you can stand watching a bunch of a guy walking into different doorways and you know at one point he'll end up in a hospital at some point he ends up in a cave uh, it's hmm. it's a little surreal but it it's not like it's not like Unshan Andalou it's there's a right. narrative um and then he did a couple others, which is interesting because they, you know, they it says, oh, Paul An- Thomas Anderson movie um, or video, new Radiohead video. And I think there were two or three like this. And it's really just him handheld filming them play acoustic uh, mm-hmm. versions of their, their albums. So it, not exactly, you know, a, a PTA film. It's really just he happens to be the guy holding the camera. Um, right. But yeah, I can tell they're very close and, uh, and he clearly likes their music. And he actually just clearly likes music, period. I think he does a good job. Actually, there's a good parallel with, say, Tarantino, who <laughs> has a lot of fans. But um, I think he uses music well, not in the same way as Tarantino. I think he, he tries mm-hmm. tries to fit the music to the film. Whereas, yeah, maybe a little more integrated, but yeah. Right, right. But uh, but he, he does, uh, that's a fixture. And yeah, he, he's an interesting guy. He also has three first names. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's why we call him PTA. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, I don't know why. He, I guess I, I do understand why he probably went Paul uh, T- Thomas Anderson because there's the Paul W S Anderson. Right. Yeah. Way to ex- stand out. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to be confused for that guy. No. <laughs> and Event Horizon was fine. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that. But uh, yeah, you know. me too. I like my Hellraiser. So. <laughs> yeah. So should we get into the the films? You think? Uh, yeah. Little by little, one by yeah, one. I, I mean, of course, we kinda, can't get too in depth. Uh, we could... Right. Right. We're going to give each movie just a, a few minutes, and uh, I, I guess a little way I want to set it up too is just how we jumped into these. Um, and you know, maybe you could mention it too, Aaron. You, you I talked about how many times you've seen the films. Um, I do think his movies. Rec- 
I won't say require, but they are helped by repeat viewings. Mm-hmm. Um, I had seen most of the movies only once, so I really I took this as a reason to go back and rewatch as much as I could. Um, and in order, the only ones I had seen more than once were Boogie Nights and uh, There Will Be Blood. Um, so I kind of worked my way through and really enjoyed that. I mean, I just, uh, it's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is a, a reason to, to do that. So we thought we'd yep. just, you know, share some, some moments, thoughts yeah. on a few films. Yeah. And when we're, we're preparing for an episode like this, we tend to try to binge watch a little bit, uh, so a director's library. Uh, I, I say binge for watch, worse, you know, but, it's not like yeah. we're watching 10 movies in a day. It's over a, a period of weeks. Right. Uh, this this time, I, I guess I've seen a lot of these films numerous right. times, and I and I am a fan, so I, I really didn't feel like I needed to rewatch Boogie Nights, uh, There Will Be Blood, The Master. Um, I, I did rewatch Magnolia. That had been a while. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just remember them very well. And in, in fact, with Criterion Connection, even though it's not Criterion, uh, I I actually watched uh, Boogie Nights for the first time on my dad's laserdisc player. Uh-huh. He, he had yeah. the laserdisc. Uh, I think yeah. that was probably in the realm uh, in the the era of dvds I, yeah maybe, i think so because maybe the, not it, the movie came out in 97 right so uh and dvds were really just getting started at that point so mm-hmm. um, there i think there is some crossover there you know just with the laserdisc release and um but yeah we only have one one release on criterion that just came out so yep. uh, for you know for the the small disc <laughs> releases dvd and <laughs> right 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 but I, I don't so. think the Laserdisc was Criterion. I think it was another label. But it, uh, okay. but it did have a lot of the same features that came out. Yeah, my dad backed Betamax, Laserdisc, <laughs> and I think uh, HD DVD. So um, yeah, good man. Well, he he picked he picked correctly, except for the HD DVD. That didn't really work out. But <laughs> uh, Betamax <laughs> he did and, go with uh, the best formats and Laserdisc. Well, Laserdisc was fine for a while. So anyway, yeah. enough about my dad. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, let's get into, you know, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's career a bit. He did get his start really in the 19—I mean, he had the shorts and some work in the late 80s, but uh, 1996 saw his uh, his first feature in Hard Eight. It was originally called uh, Sydney. This is one that uh, was really cut down for its release. Uh, I would love to see— you know, I, I really hope that if Criterion puts this out, that they put that work print version, original cut, whatever you want to call it, um, that was originally released as a uh, a supplement or an additional uh, copy on the release. So we'll we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, and I, I I will I regret I did not rewatch this one. It, it is on Filmstruck. Either, yeah. I, I re- it's been a while since I've seen it. I think I watched it around uh, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love when we're we're trying to figure out this PTA guy. Yeah. And I, I do remember uh, Philip Baker Hall is a, a fixture. That, that's another thing we haven't really gotten into that we will, is he tends to use a lot of the same stable. And uh, mm-hmm. Baker Hall is in a lot of his, his, his work. Um, and he's he's excellent in, in them. But I And also John C. Riley, who's in this. So yep. another fixture. And I, I do recall some scenes. I know it, it began in a diner. It has some intensity. I... Uh, it probably does benefit from repeat viewings, but maybe not as much as the others. Of course, I say that having seen it once uh, 15 years ago, or 20, or, yeah, probably 15 years ago. So, yeah, I think I'll save myself for that hopeful Criterion release and uh, yeah, dig back in. That's really the reason why I didn't rewatch it, Aaron, is because I'm like, this is going to come from Criterion, hopefully, and I just I want to have that release to to dig into it. So that's why I kind of waited. I mean, it was one of the 
last ones that I saw of his, I, you mm-hmm. know, some people may be in the same boat. Like I started with Boogie Nights. It's the first movie of his I've seen. I've kind of sure. followed along and went back to that one. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the characters are, are a little tough. I did like the acting, especially Philip Baker Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's a, he's a really good character to follow. He has, he has some scruples. He's kind of a, a, a bit of a fixer too, maybe like the, um, um, you know, the, the fixer character. In, yeah. Uh, Pulp uh, Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's also a surrogate father for the John C. Riley character, which is a, you know, another theme that goes on through a lot of his films. So you can kind of see him, um, you know, some of the, the themes kind of starting in this movie, I guess. Yeah. And actually, I'd say probably this one is more influenced by Quentin as well. Than, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I'd say, say Magnolia is a little, a little bit because of the uh, the overlapping storylines and the cutting and, and the length. <laughs> right. But, uh, Pulp Fiction. Right. But yeah, this one, yeah. I think you, it's kind of like those a lot of those mid-90s indies, uh, guys with guns. Yeah, he's boiled. not afraid of violence either. You know, yeah. He does. It's not a pervading theme. I, mean, he, I, I don't think he uses violence as much as, as a Tarantino, but um, it is maybe more no. shocking um, when he does use it. Yeah, I think that's because he it comes from more of a subdued style. So yeah, I, and as you alluded to, there might be another cut out there. So that, that's another right. reason why I didn't want to jump back into this one because I, I if I'm going to kind of like the new world, I, I want to yeah. see see the the different cut or cuts. Uh, so hopefully that is in the works, and uh, we'll see it soon. Do it all, do it all. One thing I wanted to mention too, Aaron, as we're getting into. Uh, Anderson is uh, I, I was listening to a really good podcast recently I'll give them a shout out because I talked to them on Twitter briefly to um, film faculty and they they're going oh, through yeah. a Paul Thomas Anderson retrospective and uh, a nice comment that they had that I just thought I'd bring up because I, I did mention it before with Altman is how um, you can see you can maybe pick out a director that seems like a direct influence on the film so I'll just mention those as we go along to like this one um, and it's he, he really they really separate it by uh, eras uh, in you know early work middle work and who the director is that um, influences so uh, here we have Scorsese with uh, Heart Eight and yeah, okay. Scorsese with the next movie uh, especially I mean this seemed really easy to pick out 1997's uh, Boogie Nights so yeah, I, and this one, I didn't know about that series I, I know I think his name is Jason I, I follow him Jason. on Twitter as well so I'm, yeah. I'm glad you gave him a shout I like that guy so uh, yeah. yeah we'll put a yeah. link in the notes too and, and I'll, I'll give him a listen so sorry good Boogie Nights <laughs> yeah Boogie Nights I, and I didn't mention too that yeah, uh, PTA he grew up in it's set in Los Angeles San, San Fernando Valley uh, he did grow up there, so um, and it takes place during the really the golden age of porn in the 1970s right, and right. early 80s. Um, and I, I mentioned the you know the early influence from the the short mockumentary. Um, so this one is a you know it's got a, another large cast: Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, great Burt Reynolds, who was nominated for best uh, supporting actor in this film. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think that's the first time Hoffman comes into. Um, a, uh, a PTA film, so, and he's a, a staple, of course. Of course, yeah. And again, William John Mace C. Riley. Uh, uh, yeah, William Macy, of course. Yeah, and this one. Um, one of the funny things I, I found with, it, I mean, I, I've seen this one, I think the most, probably three or four times. 
Um, you know, I mentioned the the Scorsese influence, and there are a lot of long takes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, almost every one of them is about three minutes long. Yeah, including the you know the beginning uh, open. The, you have the opening shot, which is an over the shoulder shot, very similar to Goodfellas. Um, you know, really giving you a, and it goes into the Luis Guzman's character's uh, club. And you really follow. You get to meet almost all the characters uh, in the in the film, and it, of course, it ends with uh, with Wahlberg, and it's it's bookended by an over the over the shoulder shot of uh, the Burt Reynolds character. So mm-hmm. you can see, similar to the you know the long unbroken take in Goodfellas, where we get to meet everybody. Yeah. So. And this was Wahlberg's really his breakout too, and and I think yeah. kind of like with Sandler, you 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 kind of see that he's. Uh, he has a little bit of nervous energy, and, and maybe that's because he's not a seasoned actor. And so you, right. you could say that PTA guided him into his acting career. Um, yeah. And, and actually, I, I think the first half of the film is a lot stronger than the second. I think it it's still, still entertaining, still watchable. It com- becomes more comedy-oriented. It's basically the Wahlberg and John C. Riley show, and, and they are funny, and it's very quotable. But I, You got the touch. <laughs> yeah. It is. <laughs> But the first half, uh, you know, as he's getting into this industry and finding his place before he really becomes entrenched in it, uh, it I, I'd say that's, you know, pretty, that's movie magic almost. Oh, yeah. And, and I do remember. Especially dramatically, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's really what people saw that uh, that really gave PTA his breakout. And of course, it's easy to market. Who doesn't want to go see a movie movie about porn stars? About porn. Exactly. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a unique uh, angle for a character study, but it, it easily marketable and it, it worked. Uh, I remember yeah. that it, it, when it, before it came out, there was a lot of controversy about it. I think the maybe a, a Christian controversy, but uh, yeah, I'm sure yeah. that was overblown. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, one of the things I really, you know, one of the things I love about rewatching movies, Aaron, is just picking out new themes. Of course, I picked out the Scorsese, but one of the things I really noticed in this is. Um, I was thinking of just that transition from the 70s to the 80s, and mm-hmm. it really right. is... That's where... Yeah, and, and I know John from film faculty talked about this, how it's like right in the middle Jason. point is where you see... Jason, sorry, Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, where Jason said that you, you really see a transition right in the middle from this is kind of the beginning of the end. And I think he really is uh, commenting just on the... I don't know if you call it free love, uh, you know... Sure. What what you'd want to say about the the transition between the seventies and the eighties, but as soon as the eighties come up, there's just this kind of cloud, you know, and, and mm-hmm. specter that comes up. And I, I think you're you're really, um, I, I think he's commenting just on that change about how different, um, you know, the the free seventies were versus the the eighties and uh, you know capitalism and the you know the me decade, all, all of that, and how it gets to you know later there's the scene. In where you, uh, guns become more pervasive uh, towards mm, the end, you get right. the gun culture and yeah. um, you know the drugs and um, all of that. So I, I think he's making a bit of a, a, a comment there. Uh, it's also the time time frame when he grew up, you know, because mm-hmm. you know all these uh, these porn vans were uh, everywhere when he was, uh, <laughs> he was filming. So yeah. it's kind of another shout out to Scorsese with Goodfellas too, because that also has the the. Halcyon glory days, and and again, that's when that shot takes place. Is when right. he's at he's at his highest, and uh, and then there's a, a transition, and then things go downhill, drugs, uh, and then. But although I, I would say that the second half of, or the last third of uh, Goodfellas is uh, a lot stronger than the last Very third strong. of uh, Boogie Nights, uh, and a little more cohesive too. I I, uh, I do like Boogie Nights quite a bit, but I, I do think it's a little scatter shot. Mm. 
Yeah, I can see that. I, although I, I, some people don't like the the ending. I, I love the ending. So I, I think just the theme I picked up in, in watching this of, um, you know, I, like you said, the maybe there were folks from the the right that looked down on this porn movie, but I, I I think a lot of what he's saying is just let let people live their lives and do what they want to do as long as they're happy and not hurting yeah. other people. And you know, so I, I yeah, love the book ending uh, mm-hmm. shot. So should we magnolia it? Yeah, let's magnolia. Um, it's uh, tough to cover one director in his entire library. Although with PTA, it's a little easier. <laughs> he uh, he doesn't he's not the most uh, prolific. Right. Yeah, so, that's a good good point. It was easier to, to kind of yeah. cover everything. Twenty five years and what seven films? Yeah. And this one is this one's from nineteen ninety nine. Uh, one of the ones I really needed to to rewatch. I saw it when it first came out, and this was not uh, a favorite of. We, we watched this with another couple, and uh, my buddy and I liked it a lot, and uh, it was not a <laughs> favorite of our wives. So I really wanted to to uh, to see it again. This one is they, called they out. They better as a, wise up. <laughs> yeah this one yeah. is polarizing and i and you're yeah. right I, I do remember there being a little bit of a, a bit of yeah, a little bit of a backlash uh but the people that love it love it and yeah. uh and i'm i don't i don't say i wouldn't say i love it i, I like it a lot it's it's a very strong movie um mm-hmm. yep i think i'm with you you know it it really uh you've got the overlapping storyline I, I like the way it's told um, I'm not really a big fan of the opening. I think I, I think it maybe kind of hits you over the head a little bit yeah. with what he's going for, and I, I, I think I, I would have liked to have just had him let the whole thing come together. I mean, it takes mm-hmm. place in 24 hours, and you've got the um, just the, the overlapping storylines. Uh, you might, based on that, think, well, this is you know influenced by Altman. Yes, this is probably his most oh, Altmanist picture. <laughs> definitely, yeah. So, and there are yeah. some really, really strong scenes. Like uh, when I rewatched I, the Julianne Moore in the drugstore, that was just oh, pheno- yeah. phenomenal scene. Uh, and yeah. some of the uh, the the Tom Cruise scenes are, are very uh, very interesting. The interview is is really well done. Just seeing him yeah. and Stu there. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that's where he really. I mean, he he Boogie Nights was a good uh, good beginning for him, but I think this is where he really gets entrenched into the characters and really mm. uh, fleshes them out. So, and even though I, I, I mentioned he's influenced by by Tarantino here with the overlapping stories, uh, of course, and, and Altman as well, but I, I think he kind of surpasses Tarantino as far as the depth goes. I, I think he really just, and it's it's more emotional rather than nostalgic and you know looking paying tribute to things uh in the past uh yeah it's a yeah. deep film. yeah it's yeah very very much so i would reward repeat viewings i mean a lot of it is about reg- regret and really just mm-hmm. you know re- embracing re- your regret i know that's one of the um things that's actually mentioned in the dialogue but y- you've got the um not so much surrogate fathers but you have um you know fathers and sons come into play in this a, a bit uh, fathers and daughters and um you know just the the all of the the characters coming together i mean there's things i, I think some of it is just you could say that you know shit happens uh mm-hmm. as, like forrest <laughs> gump would say uh, is a, a theme and really every character for the most part with a, a couple exceptions like quiz kid uh not not uh well every character is flawed um mm-hmm. and i'd say that the, the kid kid not not macy's character right um they all have scar they're they're all kind of terrible characters and terrible people in a way, and and maybe not, uh, you know, maybe like uh, uh, Macy's character might 
more be a product of his uh, his spoiled upbringing, and right. uh, and and we see that mirrored in the in the younger quiz kid Stanley, right? Uh, yeah. so actually, but, but but I think there's a catharsis too, and uh, and they Stanley breaks through that, and of course, yeah. Speaking of people that have criticisms, frogs. <laughs> yep. Frogs is well the, the song "Wise Up" is the low point, and then frogs is the catharsis, and I I think that's where things change. And, and actually, comparing it to Boogie Nights, I don't think there is that catharsis. I, I don't think there is that uh, denouement that um, that happens that. Uh, that allows it to kind of tie it up like a bow, but I think this one mm. it exists. So I, I do like this uh, more than Boogie Nights, but um, hmm. not as much as a couple films we're going to talk about soon. Oh yeah, hmm. Hmm. interesting. Yeah, I the the one storyline I really liked the most. I, I remember this on the first viewing too, and I, I think maybe it's the one character that you can uh, get along with and, and like is the John C. Riley character. I mean, I just love right. you know their relationship on screen, and you know, of course it ends the film too but yeah and, and he's like he's benevolent but he's kind of he's not he's inept he's he's really not in tune with the world so i'd say that's right. his flaw is he uh he just he he, he basically remember with the the rap uh, the little kid uh he has no idea yeah. what that kid is talking about right well i he has his blinders on follow it either but <laughs> i had to yeah. watch it a couple times but yeah you, you, yeah if you pick up on it you there is something there it's but, uh, it's there yeah so so yeah, um, that's uh, that's to uh, nineteen ninety nine. Now we're gonna skip over Punch Drunk Love because we've already talked about it. Yeah, but that was yeah. two thousand two. So that was uh, three years later. Again, um, I I remember Jason mentioning. I believe Jason mentioned you know really separating the films into two pieces or mm-hmm. two at a time. So that like that was his second Altman movie, and then we'll move into what um, many have called. His his greatest movie, movie of the decade, uh, great performance from, um, of course, Mr. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in 2007's uh, There Will Be Blood. Yeah, that guy's all right. He's okay. <laughs> he's, he's, he's good. Right. He's decent. <laughs> this one was actually dedicated. I've forgotten this till we watched it last night. Uh, dedicated to Altman, who had died in 2006. Uh, and I know um, Anderson had helped with, I don't know if he was assistant director on Prairie, Prairie Home Companion, but... Uh, he'd had something right. to do yeah, he did. Uh, with that. So um, Yeah, and so he took a long break, and as we yeah. uh, talked about previously, so uh, to, uh, Punch Drunk Love was 2002, and I believe right. There Will Be Blood is 2007. 2007, yeah, so, so five years. Yeah. I, I do think, and I, I, I didn't look into the production history, but There Will Be Blood probably took a little longer to um, to make. Had to, a bigger yeah. budget, you yeah. know, it's um, you know, more than made its money back, but yeah. Yeah, did 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 very well. Uh, speaking of which, there's a catharsis there too, but I won't get into that. Even though probably everybody listening to this has seen it, but uh, yeah, that, that there's some some gut wrenching scenes. Uh, people abandoning abandoning their child. Right, <laughs> I've abandoned my child. <laughs> yeah, That's very great. memorable scenes. Uh, I, I this this is up there with my favorites of uh, PTA's work. I think actually, Punch Drunk Love is, as I've as we talked about last segment, I, I think that is now my favorite. It is your favorite. I think okay. it surpassed there, there Will Be Blood. And I've seen There Will Be Blood probably mm-hmm. at least twice, I think three times. Um, yeah. I, I, I like milkshakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> you going to drink my milkshake? Yeah, I'm not going to drink your milkshake. I'll, right, I'll leave yours you. alone. It's, your milkshake's a, a long ways away. <laughs> <laughs> you need a long straw. <laughs> a very long straw. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, th- this one, um, you know, Jason did mention Kubrick, and boy, I mean, the Kubrick influences. Oh, yeah. I mean, from the from this, I guess the score is the thing that stands out the most to me as far as being so Kubrick esque. And I love the score. I I think it won the Oscar, uh. um, or it was nominated. I forget. Um, but it was. Just from the beginning, I mean, you, you start with just, it, it's black, and you've got that just beautiful Letty-like score. Very, it's, it really sounds like it's from the, the beginning of 2001, um, all the way to the end, which the ending just feels like something out of uh, A Clockwork Orange and the music that he plays at the end, just the, the timing of it, the tone. Uh, yeah, it's just... Mm-hmm. You know, and and the the way the film is is constructed, definitely you can see the it's his own movie, but you can see the Kubrick Kubrick influences. Yeah, actually, I just checked it. It did not win the Oscar. In fact, it wasn't even nominated. And I I seem to remember really? there was some controversy with that. And yeah, so this is his wow. first uh, formal collaboration with uh, Johnny Greenwood, who, as you if you don't know Radiohead, he's uh, the guitarist slash sound maker. <laughs> he makes noise. Uh, very creative individual and. Uh, uh, but definitely has an indie spirit uh, and yeah. sort of indie slash symphonic. It, I, yeah. I, yeah, he really took to uh, uh, soundtrack uh, uh, composing. And uh, and yeah, I, I'd say this is a, a marvelous soundtrack and a great yeah. partnership. They've and I, they did the master. Uh, actually, I think all their all his films since have have been Greenwood and of course Junin, which we'll, we'll talk about as well. Yeah, very very integrated there, but. But yeah, it's it's the, interesting how he moved away from Brian and then, you know, uh, you know, having Greenwood as his composer. And you're right, yeah, Inherent Vice, too, uh, mm-hmm. has Greenwood. So, yeah. Well, I, I like John Bryan, but, man, come on, Johnny Greenwood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I'd say he brings a different aesthetic, but I think it works for the later films. They're, they're a little, little more jarring. Well, all his films are somewhat jarring, but There Will Be Blood in the Master, for sure. There's, there's some major confrontations there oh yeah uh, and and the music just underscores uh underscores both of them very very well yeah and he, he's uh i mean anderson is a he's certainly an american director i know he's been um thought of that way obviously and he he makes american stories and themes and i i think of when i was watching there will be blood i was thinking of this and boogie nights as really his for me his two best american films although i punched on glove is kind of like what it's like to fall in love in America, uh, how we find people. Sure, yeah. So, you know, there's, this there's, is the, there's certainly that. The rags to riches story, the uh, right. the tycoon story, the last tycoon. Yeah, yeah it, and, you know, certainly a take on, on capitalism and greed and what it can do. And, you know, uh, even mm-hmm. um, you can certainly see some through lines to al- alcoholism and substance abuse in this film and some of his other films, too, so, and how where that can lead. And also, uh, maybe yeah, a lot on greed and and uh, the type of personalities that uh, that succumb to greed. Uh, right. And, and I don't think he's saying that greed corrupted Plainview. I think he's. I think Plainview was already corrupted, and it was just a right. a, a great fit. So. Right. Uh, yeah. It, okay. Another Kubrick uh, influence, The Shining. You know, where you yeah. you take the Jack character, a lot of those, who's, yeah. who's already um, you know tortured. And, yep. So. And I don't know if he cited it at all, but I think some of the visuals, some of the landscape shots by uh, Ellswit, I think are a little Malick, 
Uh, yeah, there yeah. Are, there are yeah, some you can't help but think Days of Heaven, really, you know, right. watching this this movie. The lighting, a lot of, uh, you know, magic hour lighting. A lot of magic hour and a lot of bright lighting, too. Um, like those those desert oil shots are almost like scalding white. Uh, so right. and I, know, I know Malik does Twilight uh, Time a whole bunch, but he, he does like to contrast those uh, those shots a, a good bit. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I love this movie. I love the performance. I, I, I can see that some people criticize Dan, Daniel Day-Lewis for chewing scenery, for overacting. Yeah, especially at the end. But. Oh, sure, yeah. And I, I, I get that. Um, I would say Gangs in New York was a little more, even though I love him in that. And I thought so, too. He's definitely chewed it more there. Yeah. Yep. And I, I love him, but I don't like the movie as much. Uh, but, but yeah, and Lincoln maybe a little bit. But, uh, but no, I think this is probably my favorite Daniel Day performance. Which Agreed. Is, yeah. yeah. It's one for the ages, you know, mm-hmm. and, and even though he is unhinged at the, especially at, throughout, but especially at the end, uh, he has a reason to be unhinged. And we, we get to know him uh, when he, you know, meets his, his brother uh, there and you know, mm-hmm. th- there's some quiet moments and of course it's over, over liquor. So, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a fan. But can you imagine how annoying Daniel Day had to be on set? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Such a great actor. Probably not pleasant to work with, uh, at least, you know, not while it, while the uh, while the camera's on, sure. Right. <laughs> while it's off. Right. Uh, well, yeah. we'll, we'll see him again. I'm going to comment on that in a minute. But what, why don't we move into uh, The Master um, again? He, this one, you know, I, I don't know if you'd say Kubrick influences, maybe others, but uh, this is 2012, um, and uh, it's, I guess for this movie, um, it's about, a, it's a naval veteran who arrives home from war and uh, runs into the cause and its charismatic leader, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, for me, Aaron, it's all about the... Uh, the cinematography and the acting absolutely yeah. stand out. Yeah. Um, you know, so much more than the story. And yeah, I think we can recall Barry Egan here. I think uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character is yeah. sort of a, a I, I wouldn't use a blank slate to describe Lena, but I, and I wouldn't say that about Barry, but I, I would say it a little more about, um, about uh, Joaquin's character. What was his name? Oh, Freddie Quell. A Quell, yeah. Uh, Freddie was a, Frag, or a tortured man, lost man, and so, and of course the elephant in the room, it's really no secret about it, this is Scientology, but right. uh, he, this this type of personality, uh, violent streak, naive, lost, depressed, lonely, very much Barry Egan, you know, has sex with a, <laughs> a sandcastle. <laughs> the sand, yeah. Yeah, or not a sandcastle, a sand lady, uh, boy. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and the you know the the scene where they're going through the pictures and all all he can picture are right. uh, sexual objects. Right. You know? <laughs> so he's he's certainly uh, a one track mind uh, to an extent. I mean, he he does. Uh, they we we learn later that he had had um, relations with his aunt, so there's some incest there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, but torture. very impressionable, impressionable kind of a, a good cipher for a uh, for a message like this, um, with which he could become a uh, core member uh you know basically a robot to the cause right and if anybody's scientologist i <laughs> i don't sue me i don't have anything against your religion but i i, I think that uh i think it does convey sort of at least what i've heard about the rituals um, it seems like pretty well uh, right 
Yeah, there was a debate for this movie. Uh, I was listening back to the Film Spotting podcast where debate of whether really Quell buys into the cause or if he really just buys into if he's taken by uh, the the Hoffman character Lancaster. And I yeah. kind of tended towards the side of that he, you could almost see it like a, a bit of a bromance or maybe even something more between the two of them. And I lean towards that way. I don't, I don't really think Quell really cared about the cause. It was just a you know, a place for him to be a part of and focus his energy, but he didn't really, I don't think he ever believed in it, you know? Yeah, I'd, I'd say he was more patriarchal to uh, to Freddie, and I, I think he did save him. And, and actually, my, right. some of my, my favorite scenes in the movie are those therapy sessions. Oh, yeah, the... the the processing is great. The processing, and they're long. Yeah. Actually, it's it's surprising how long those segments are, but they're fascinating. Um, and and just the back and forth, those those two uh, brilliant actors uh, uh, going toe to toe. Oh yeah. But I, I I think that I, I'm with you. I think that they um, that he is actually disillusioned with Scientology, but he just he's he's loyal. He's loyal right. to the nth degree, and uh, and he'll do anything for Lancaster. Uh, but he does. And no spoiler alert, uh, he does kind of go his separate ways, and I think that probably has more to do with Scientology or the process or whatever. <laughs> what, they, what was there? What do they call it? I forget. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I part of me just said, you know, because he's still uh, he's still a you know his own he's a free spirit. He's his own person. Um, so to me, that just kind of made sense. I you know I, I didn't know if that would ever. Uh, kind of coalesce that way. I, I felt like the end of the movie, as things kind of come together, wasn't as strong as the earlier parts of the film. Uh, I like a lot of Anderson's ending. This one didn't quite coalesce for me, but um, mm-hmm. it's not know. as pat. It's it's open ended yeah. and uh, and yeah, it's, hmm. yeah. So it's it's not like uh, Magnolia or Punch Drunk Love where right uh, you get carried away. It's kind of meandering. Um, yep. One of the reasons I think it was more of a critical darling than a you know an audience uh, mm-hmm. film. But one thing I, I do want to say is the Blu-ray is gorgeous. Yes, I didn't, yes. I hadn't popped it in. It does it was look shot amazing. Sixty-five millimeter. I saw an article that says it really needs eight K resolution to capture everything. And in ten ten eighty p, it's one of the best Blu-rays I've ever seen. It, it to me, it almost looks like and could be Ultra HD in Blu-ray. It's yeah. gorgeous. And yeah. in fact, I, I would love to get an Ultra HD. I actually own twi- two copies of it. I have the uh, the the studio DVD I bought a long time ago oh, when yeah. it came out, and I also have the Plain Archive one, which is a nice addition. I bought that for our our Plain Archive episode. Oh yeah, yeah. I might have to grab that. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. But yeah, and uh, it, we didn't touch on it, but uh, the, uh, the There Will Be Blood ending was uh, not exactly subtle like uh, The Master. No. <laughs> uh, you mentioned, uh, by the way, Andrea hates The Master. Uh, she oh, really? did not like it at all, but uh, but likes there will, there will Be Blood. So what did, us, yeah. what did Steph think about it? She she liked There Will Be Blood. I, I kind of knew she would. Um, I, I let her take a long nap so that to make sure she could stay awake because <laughs> she works nights. And yeah, yeah I mean... How can you not be drawn in with the the character, you know, the performance? But I, she was drawn in by the the relationship, father and son, especially too. Um, that kept her going, and the you know the scenes with with Paul Dano, and she was certainly she was surprised by the violence. Um, yeah, yeah. You know what it, what it does come because <laughs> it's, it's it's a bit of a punctuation. There's not a lot of it, but it's, it's there. speaking of abrupt. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's exactly. very very much so. Um, yep. Well, we uh, we are we, kind we of muttering all... through these. Yeah, yeah. Let's move into uh, getting into his, his late stuff. We just have a, really a couple to uh, talk about. Inherent Vice came in 2014. Now, this one is, as, as I understand, um, I, 
I don't know about the influence, maybe Altman, but um, yeah, the this one is more. Yeah, there you go. This one's more comedic. Um, the interesting thing here is, uh, is I, I believe all of his other films are written by um, PTA, whereas mm-hmm. this one was an adapted uh, from a book and is the first time that Thomas Pynchon had ever allowed uh, one of his books to be adapted for the screen. Um, Pynchon yeah. being a very, um, you know... Exacting. <laughs> very exacting and, yeah. and not in the public eye. He's, uh, he's kind of, you know, his own man. Pension is like the, a modern day James Joyce as far as uh, yes. he's yeah in fact a lot of people said this novel or really any pension were really unadaptable yep but this is uh, I, I think he does I think Altman and another uh, noir there are a lot of hard-boiled elements that he does bring to the table and I think that sure. helps with the adaptation using the, those uh, genre conventions uh, yep. it, it is a, a it is a difficult film. Uh, I'll be honest. I think it does take multiple viewings. Um, I've heard people call it boring, and I think uh, you know I, I don't like that as a uh, as a, an argument. But right, why I could is it boring? See, I could see people having trouble with it. I found it um, oblique, maybe too oblique, and mm. um, and and tough to wrap your mind around. And I did not get to rewatch sure. it. I really wanted to, but yeah, I, but I, I did too. I yeah. love the uh, again. We, we know that. Uh, PTA can compose a shot like nobody else, and uh, and the music uh, he gets great performances. Oh yeah. Uh, every, yeah, all the boxes were checked to make it a great film, but it, it's it's hard to engage with. Uh, does, this one didn't resonate as much with me, and this one's probably of all of his work, I'd say it's the most most polarizing. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah, like I, a real love hate relationship. Yeah, I think uh, you know when I think of love hate, I, I guess I think of that and maybe Magnolia, but this one probably. Is it? I mean, it, it was well, when I saw it. This this the year that I saw it. I, I never laughed at any other film as much as I did in this one. I think it was the funniest film to me of that year. Um, I think part of what helped that is I had uh, a, a high ABV beer or two before, so that really helped. <laughs> that might help, yeah. <laughs> this one move along, but you know, it and it didn't feel that long to me. I was going in expecting it to really drag and feel long, but. Um, it's it, it it's it didn't and it, it is hard to follow like you said I, I think part of what kind of had me ready for it too is I had lis- listened to the audiobook I've actually never read a oh, pigeon really? novel okay um, I'm reading um, one now um, but the one of his early books but um, the audiobook was so I couldn't get into it at all. I mean, you think about breaking up this story. That would and be I was a tough to it one. Over yeah. Days. yeah, yeah. Pigeon and audiobooks. Yeah, uh, don't go it, hand in hand. Are you reading yeah. uh, Gravity's Rainbow or? No, no, the um, Crying of Lot Forty Nine. Oh, okay, one. interesting. Yeah, so I, have, yeah, I don't really know that one as well, but I, I'm married to an English teacher, so so Pynchon comes up with uh, with her and friends sometimes. So. Yeah, uh, Keith, our friend Keith Silva, he's a, a big fan. It's his favorite author. Gravity's really? his favorite book. So I'm, I'm kind of working my way up to reading that book. Okay, cool. <laughs> so and um, maybe maybe PTA will uh, you know adapt that one someday. It's maybe or maybe David Foster Wallace. Speaking of uh, uh, th- three uh, first names. <laughs> Well, right. I guess Foster's a first name. Yeah. So anyway, sure. Yeah. yeah, this is one I I need to spend more time with. I do own the DVD, yeah. and uh, and I think if we had a little more prep time, if I wasn't doing all this Criterion Now stuff, I probably would have. <laughs> uh, probably actually, I, I, this could be a Criterion down the road because, like Punch Drunk Love, it, it wasn't uh, immediately accepted. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I, but not not for a while, yeah, I, and I don't know about rights and that sort of thing. But I would love to see Criterion type of extras, and, and by extras I mean not the types that uh, the the transfers from the old DVD, but the um, 
the original uh, visual essays interviews with the cast and Absolutely. crew would love oh, to yeah. see that for for this film yeah uh, maybe they'll get pension yeah <laughs> don't hold I your breath it, but, but maybe <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so uh, lastly, we did want to cover his last uh, feature film, sort of. It's sort of a feature feature length film. Yeah, why not? Um, 2015's Junun. So this one is uh, how do you describe it? It, it is it's a documentary, and he really just followed uh, this group. Uh, he went with Johnny Greenwood to Rajasthan in India, where mm-hmm. they perform. Um, Music. Uh, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the the main composer's name, uh, but he is uh, well known, as I understand, in uh, in India. And uh, he, for me, Aaron, this movie was just kind of an excuse for PTA to go on a trip and bring his camera and hang out with Johnny Greenwood and listen to some music and maybe smoke something. But uh, I won't go there. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> you, you, you did. You, you saw that. <laughs> I did. I did. It's not to say it's it's bad. I actually mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I thought of like, you know, the early scene, you kind of see him just kind of circling around the music, um, mm-hmm. getting each each person, uh, you know, doing their thing. I, I think it, do, it does give a lot of perspective of, you know, artists putting something together, how music's put together. It's very late in, you know, it's the recording piece. It's not mm-hmm. really much of the rehearsal. Um, so I kind of thought of the music room too a bit, you know. With the I, I was just about to say the same thing. So, I, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if PTA watched uh, the music room. He might have, but uh, but I, I right. and that might just be us Westerners thinking. All right, <laughs> a room with music, uh, such music, and yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I th- I thought culture. Well, I, I like that there wasn't. Uh, well. I'd say I'm intrigued by the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of exposition. You know, you really have Agreed. to read behind the scenes to find out what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's Johnny Greenwood doing with uh, this group of people? Uh, even the, the, the locale, uh, this is in kind of northwestern India, which is, it's very, not too far from the border of Pakistan. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm not an Indian scholar or anything, but I, I did pick up on some Pakistani elements. I think, think they might have been speaking Urdu in a, in a couple of places. I, I'm, I'm not positive, though. And if I'm wrong, mm. sorry. <laughs> uh, but, but they, and also the, the, lo- the, this castle uh, or fort is what what it was. Uh, right, beautiful landscape too. Yeah, really great. Yeah, nice nice use of the drones too. As I there's a bit of trivia where uh, stuck at customs, uh, a lot of all of his uh, equipment, PTA's equipment was stuck at customs except mm-hmm. for one like Super Eight camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also yeah, had a, you a drone tell there's camera. A so. lot of handheld. In fact, I wondered. I didn't right. know that. I wondered if it was uh, like GoPro kind of kind of filming, uh, right. but. Uh, it looked but, like it, but in a way, yeah, and and I think this is this plugs in well with uh, with what we t- began with with his music videos and his uh, his loving uh, artists, mu- musical artists, right. and, and Radiohead, absolutely, uh, Johnny Greenwood, yep. he's there, yep. and so it, it's almost kind of like a last waltz kind of documentary. That's really PTA's last waltz. You know, what we don't really need, well, of course, last waltz they did talk about the band some, but it's m- mostly about the music, and so is this, and uh, so it, right. it's basically just it's a concert film and. It, it's not my t- type of music, but I sure enjoyed it, and I sure found myself tapping along with it. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And I was actually playing it again today. the The title track, Junun, is uh, you can find it on Spotify. You know, pop, watch the movie, and then pop it on. You 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 can't help but uh, tap along with it. I think it gets better the the more you hear it. So, right, good stuff. You can't put Junun alongside uh, Magnolia, <laughs> or no. or uh, there will be blood. You know, there's no bowling <laughs> in Junun, but uh, thank God, right. Uh, but I, and it's 
not even an hour, you know, 50 minutes or so. Yeah. So yeah, it, it goes by quick. Uh, so, so it's, but it's a nice little uh, sidebar uh, piece of his work. So if you yeah. enjoy his music videos, the, this was fun. And if you like Radiohead, nope. and right, right, no toilet, no shower, but full power. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, there, and, there was, and, um, there was I've some correct myself. Sorry, yeah, I've got to correct myself too, Aaron. Uh, it, it, uh, the trivia was small camcorder, so I'm pretty sure it was a, a super. I bet it was a um, a GoPro, not a Super Eight. Doesn't was it okay? I, I I don't yeah. know. I'm sure if PTA, if you're listening, please uh, please clear this up for us. Right, let us know what you used for a camera in the handheld shots. <laughs> So, but he's he's still working. So it's and and he's now more active, I think, than he was. He, he was taking a lot of time in between, but now he has right. his side projects like Junin, and uh, and I think he's doing a film every every couple years or so. Yeah, the next thing in line, as I'd mentioned, Daniel Day Lewis, he is supposed to be uh, filming this year and uh, intended for release late this year. Although you know, who knows? I, my guess would be. 2018, but a movie about uh, the la- uh, the London fashion industry in the 1950s. So yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis back. I mean, I, I'm excited for that. That's Untitled Paul Thomas Anderson fashion project, project. is how it's credited. <laughs> so uh, perfect. I, I, I probably is going to going to be good. Uh, I think. And, and actually, I saw a, a discussion on a on a forum or a Facebook forum recently asking filmmakers that haven't made a bad film. And and actually, I'd say PTA is up there. Kubrick Absolutely. was thrown up up out there, but yeah, I'd say he hasn't struck out yet, which nope. is you never know. <laughs> good, good to great, good to great to masterpiece. Yes. So yes, yeah, absolutely, but not really terrible. And and even people that where if if there will be blood or or the master didn't resonate with you, I think people will appreciate that that they're well received and they're right. They're at least well produced. Um, so yeah agreed any uh any in the of his films speaking of his films that you would canonize if uh criteria never puts them out we just canonized uh punch drunk love yeah well um i think the master and there will be blood would be okay there will be blood would probably be definite for me uh the master would be close i don't think we're gonna see them on criterion any, anytime soon I, I wouldn't hold my breath they're, no. they're they're successful even the master which is surprising um it, it i think it i don't know about the box office but its legacy is is yeah is, its legacy is there yeah for sure i would you know i would put boogie nights there too it sounds like i like boogie nights a little more than you and maybe it's because that was my first and i just uh watching that again i i, I think there's a lot there um, and it was on Criterion Laserdisc, and I, I could see them eventually getting the rights back to that. And I, mm-hmm. I, I'd probably canonize that one. But. That one's pretty close. If not for that second half, I probably if we could just canonize a half of a film, right. I, would, I would canonize <laughs> the first half. Uh, right. So yeah, I have, a, I have a feeling this won't be the last of uh, Paul Tom, Thomas Anderson films that we're going to um, canonize. He's still very young. I, right. I don't, is he in his forties? Yeah, yeah mid forties, I think. Early, yeah. early to mid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I also want to thank uh, Mr. PTA for helping me kind of discover, maybe rediscover Supertramp, one of those bands that you know, you right? Know, from uh, you know, with all the songs playing in, um, um, uh, well, they were featured in Magnolia, right? Um, uh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I just you know progressive song, pop music. Yeah, I, yeah. I love progressive rock, so it was nice to uh, been playing a lot of that. So thank you. So okay, would you say that Paul Thomas Anderson is among this might be hyperbolic, but is he among the best working film American filmmakers today, or is he the best working today? Would you put him on on that high of a pedestal, or would you? Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, I, I'd be hard-pressed to pick someone else out that I'm more excited to see a new movie from him at this point. And maybe someone could throw someone else out. I mean, I would have put mm-hmm. Malik there before, but his most recent output, you know, since Tree of Life, and yeah. there's just more of it. I, I just, it feels like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie is still an event. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I didn't mention is Junon was a, was a, uh, released originally only on movie. So if you wanted to see it, right, you had right. to subscribe to movie. So probably up, up those subscriptions, a nice little get for them. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, absolutely he's he's an event director for me how about you yeah off the top of my head i think he's oh he's definitely in the conversation but whether he's the guy i some people would put wes anderson out there i think yeah. people might put uh uh david fincher Maybe up tarantino. there tarantino tarantino sure, sure a lot of people would, would, would say uh and, and all those guys are worth consideration yeah I, I think he is a little a little above them uh but you know they're all working today and who knows in 20 years i i'd be really we'll interesting to have this this conversation. Uh, who was the best uh, best filmmaker of the early aughts, right? Uh, and it's in the first couple of decades of the century. So, yeah, but you're right. It, very much an event. It, when you hear news about a PTA film, you want to know more. You stand up and fashion, listen. really, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, just knowing what you know the uh, one that what he's taking on for uh, a subject matter, and then Daniel Day Lewis is in there. You know, you're immediately on board. So, well, that's uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Any, any uh, anything else you you wanted to to mention, Aaron, or did we? I, I hope we did him justice. Uh, we kind of covered a lot of his films, short period of time. Yeah, I think we we have. I, I listeners tweet us at uh, Criterion CU or comment on the Facebook uh, Criterion Close Up. Uh, let let us know your favorite uh, PTA film, and let us know if, if you think he's one of the best working directors today. Yes, and if and if not, who who is? Is it Wes Anderson? Is it Fincher, Tarantino? Uh, American, American. So, yeah, and and send us, you know, send us some feedback. If you have something longer to say, email us at feedback at criterioncloseup dot com. We'll respond there, and uh, yeah, we'd just love to love to get your thoughts. Yeah. All right. Fun fun times. Yeah. Glad we could glad we could do it. Uh, Aaron, where can uh, folks find you online? Uh, Twitter a west five hundred five and uh, Facebook. Uh, well, Criterion Close Up. Just search yeah. for us. Criterion, and you mentioned Criterion CU. Uh, Criterion Now is the is the handle. Criterion Now. Uh, Criterion underscore Now. Underscore Now. So, yeah. And you can find me, Mark Herney. It's at Mark Herney H U R N E on uh, Twitter. And uh, yeah, we just wanted to plug our upcoming show. Uh, as we said, we we're going to be going about a monthly schedule. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about uh, getting into some Ozu and covering uh, late spring. Late spring, so, yeah. And we'll yeah. be covering it in late winter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and speaking of uh, feedback, too, you know, if you have any thoughts, now's a good time. If you have any Ozu thoughts or uh, about the film Late Spring uh, in particular, definitely send us a tweet, uh, maybe even an email is even better with some thoughts, and we can mm-hmm. pull some out and feature them on the show. We'd love your feedback. And by the way, it won't be all of Ozu. <laughs> we don't have that much time. We're probably going to have to have to narrow that Five down a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, last thing I just want to say, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mark Herney. Go to his Amazon wish list. <laughs> I'm gonna, very nice of you. Thank you. We are recording on Mar- Mark Herney's birthday, so I'm going to put his wish list in the show notes. Go buy him something. And, uh, you know, if, if you appreciate the show, give back with buying, buying Mark something. Oh, you're, 
you're sweet. You're sweet. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate the singing. Uh, your voice is better than I thought. So, oh, it's it, it, oh, somebody, somebody told me my. No, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Never mind. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, thanks everyone. Thanks everyone for listening to Criterion Close Up. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.